0: So let me invite you to go ahead and stand now as we begin reading Ezekiel 20, uh, verses 1 through 44, and I'll kind of give you some some signposts as we go through the the passage to help you understand a little bit, then we'll pray and and, uh, get to the sermon. Ezekiel 20, verse 1, in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, thus says the Lord God, is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers. And you may be seated. Ezekiel now begins to go through kind of a cycle of, of Israel's history of, of disobedience. And we'll talk more about this later, but let me just read it now. And the, the first cycle begins with them in Egypt. And I want you to kind of to pay attention. There's going to be God giving instruction, We're talking about God's instruction that he gave the people, and he's going to talk about their rebellion, then he's going to talk about his wrath and his mercy. And so you'll hear that that cycle of instruction and rebellion and wrath and grace over and over again so the first occurs in the land of Egypt verse 5 and say to them thus says the Lord God on the day when I chose Israel I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob making myself known to them in the land of Egypt I swore to them saying I am the Lord your God on that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me, were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt." Then the cycle begins again as he talks about the history of of Israel, that first generation in the wilderness. Verse 10, so I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them, but... The house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live, and my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them, but I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with, with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes, and profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols, nevertheless my eyes spared them, and I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. And the cycle begins again. This is with the second generation in the wilderness, their children, Verse, 19, uh, verse 18, And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourself with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between you and me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries because they had not obeyed my rules but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were set on their father's idols. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life, and I defiled them through their very gifts and their offering up all their firstborn. That I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. He talks about the more recent past, but he's kind of out of that cycle now. Therefore, Son of Man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, in this also your father's blaspheming me by dealing treacherously with me. For when I had brought them into the land that I swore to give them, then wherever they saw any high hill or any leafy tree, there they offered their sacrifices, and there they presented the provocation of their offering. There they sent up their pleasing aromas, and there they poured out their drink offerings. I said to them, What is the high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Then he talks to them about the the present day comes to the present day in verse 30 therefore say to the house of israel thus says the lord god will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after their detestable things when you present your gifts and offer up your children in fire you defile yourselves with all your idols to this day and shall i be inquired of by you O house of israel as i live declares the lord god i will not be inquired of by you What is in your mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. And then he's talked about the distant past, the recent past, the present, and now he talks about the future. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you as idols now and hereafter. But if you will not listen to me, I'm sorry, if you will not listen to me, but my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. For on my holy mountain, the mountain high of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them, shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require your contributions and the choicest of your gifts and all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out Of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers, and there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this word that you gave to the people of Israel that revealed to them your character, your plan, your purposes. We pray that we would now read these words and understand more about you and your plan and your character, your your purpose for us, that we would respond as we ought in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus, amen. There's three questions I want you to to keep in mind as as we begin to to go through this, this passage. The first question is this, why does God show mercy. Why does God show mercy? Not does God show mercy, but, but why does God show mercy? What is it that, that motivates God, that compels God to show mercy to one who doesn't deserve it? Why does God show mercy? That's, that's the first question I want us to, to think about this morning as, as we're going through this passage. The second question is like it, but, but, but different. The second question is why does God judge? Why does God judge? What is it that, that motivates God to, to express his wrath through judgment? Why does he do that? Why does God judge? And, and then the third question I'd like us to consider this morning is how should we respond to a God who is both merciful and just, a God who... Shows mercy and a God who judges. Why does God show mercy? Why does God judge? As we think about those two questions, a lot of times the, the answers that we come up with, I think, contain truth but answer the question wrongly. For example, a person might say, okay, well, why does God show mercy? Well, God shows mercy because he, he loves me. God shows mercy because he loves me. That statement is true in the sense that, that, yes, God does love me, but I would suggest to you that it's a wrong answer to the question of, ultimately, why does God show mercy? Or a person might say, well, why does God judge? Well, well, God judges because he, he, he hates a person's sin, and, and so he's going to punish that person because they're a sinner. And, and I would say, okay, there's truth in that statement, but I don't think it gets to the, the ultimate answer of why God judges. You see, a lot of times, whenever we talk about God's mercy, or when we talk about God's judgment, we do it in the context of, of, of humanity. We say, okay, well, this, this is why God shows judgment, this is why God shows mercy. We talk about it in terms of, because of the person, something intrinsic in that person. And I would suggest to you that to ultimately answer the question, why God shows mercy, why does God judge? We have to talk about it in terms of, of God and his character. A few days ago, the family was was gathering for a family game of, of dominoes, and it was our most successful game of dominoes ever, uh, simply because we made it through a couple rounds without it turning into building forts out of the dominoes and people missing their turn because they were too busy knocking their dominoes down. We made it through like two rounds of dominoes and the kids did well too. Um, <laughs> so we were playing dominoes. Now imagine, I don't, I don't love dominoes, but, but let's, let's say that I, I really got excited about the time we were spending together as a family and, and we'd be, I said, you know what guys, this went so, domino time went so well, we're going to do this every Thursday. And Thursday they are gonna have like a domino hour, and we're all gonna to get together and, and play dominoes. And we did that for years, and the kids, and let's say I developed a love for dominoes, and the kids, the kids say, "Man, Dad, Dad loves dominoes," and that would be a true statement. And there were to, someone asked them years later, okay, so why did why did you guys play dominoes? And he said, oh, Dad, Dad loved dominoes, and so he had all us kids get together so he could play dominoes. Now. The statement would might be true, dad loves dominoes, but their their perspective would be somewhat wrong too, right? I didn't get the kids together so that we could play dominoes. Dominoes wasn't the end and the kids weren't the means. It's the reverse, right? Dominoes was a means to spending time with the kids. The kids are the end, not dominoes. And so it might be true. I love dominoes, but but really I ultimately I play dominoes because of kids. I love the dominoes because of the time with the family. The same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. And some of us miss this, this fundamental point, and it's so crucial to understand this, this correctly. God loves us, yes but we are not his ultimate end. God's ultimate end is the exaltation of his own name. And as we look at Ezekiel 20, we're going to see that it has to be that way because God is of ultimate value. God's, God's mercy towards us is not directed to the ultimate end of, of loving us, our love, God's love for us, is ultimately directed toward the exaltation of his name. And all that God does is designed to exalt his name. Really, that's, that's the main thing that I want you to grasp as we go through this passage this morning. All that God does, whether he shows mercy, whether he, whether he expresses wrath through judgment, all that God does is for the sake of his name. That's the main truth to be gleaned from Ezekiel chapter 20. The elders of of Israel misunderstand that fundamental point and we misunderstand that fundamental point today as well, don't we? All that God does is ultimately about the exaltation of his great name and all that you and I should do should ultimately be directed toward that great end. Uh, To put it another way, God's love for me is not the ultimate foundation for our relationship god's love for me is not the foundation upon which our relationship is built the ultimate foundation of our relationship is built upon the truth that god loves himself say well that sound that sounds selfish as we go through ezekiel 20 i think you'll see why it is not selfish God's love for himself is the ultimate foundation of our relationship and God's love for us is built upon that ultimate foundation of God loving himself, loving the exaltation of his name because his name is far more valuable, far more worthy of praise and glory than our names, right? So let's walk through this passage, and we're not going to be able to touch every verse as deeply as we'd like, but let's let's kind of walk through what's happening in this passage and touch on a couple verses. The first section we see is these first four verses where the elders come to Ezekiel. Now, why do the elders come to Ezekiel? It says they they come to inquire of the Lord. What are they inquiring of the Lord? Well, the text doesn't tell us explicitly, but as we come into the the present day part of the passage as Ezekiel speaks to the elders and talks about the decision that awaits them that we'll talk later, we see that perhaps they were coming to Ezekiel to ask God to inquire for them if, if they could engage in some wrong types of worship. So the very, the very nature of their coming before God and coming to Ezekiel, we're not exactly sure what it is, we just know this is motivated by, by wrong heart desires. And so what is The Lord says, as he gets ready to speak through Ezekiel, he says, As I live, this is verse 3, I will not be inquired of by you. And then he says to Ezekiel, Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? In other words, saying, you will judge them, not not with your self-righteous judgment, but with my judgment on the basis of my word, let them know, he says at the end of verse 4, let them know the abominations of their fathers. In other words, I want you to, to lay out a case against them. Let them know some things that they really fundamentally misunderstand about my character. And as you lay out this, this case before them, talk about the abominations of their fathers, all the things that Israel has done in its past, and show these elders who are coming to you these things about my character that their fathers misunderstood, and now they are misunderstanding. Okay? Okay? So that brings us to the second section, the second section of God's history of grace with Israel, his history of grace toward Israel. In verses 5 through 29, Ezekiel is going to talk about three periods of Israel's history. And as he talks about each of these periods of Israel's history, he's going to show the elders how their fathers misunderstood God and his character and were disobedient to him and how they are also misunderstanding God and his character and are being disobedient. Let's, let's walk through these cycles, these cycles. The first cycle is Israel and Egypt, Israel and Egypt, and uh, it begins by talking about God's grace, and it says in verse 5, this is before we get to the actual cycle, but it says, and say to them, thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel, and he's talking there about God's sovereign selection of Israel, I swore to the ho- offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to the lo- To them in the land of Egypt, I swore to them, saying, "I am the Lord your God." Now, Israel was suffering from some very a very severe delusion. They believed that God had chosen them because there was something special about them, and God had tried to communicate to them. No, it's it's not about you. Now, whenever I make a choice, I usually make a choice based upon. The intrinsic worth of what it is that I'm choosing. So, if I'm standing at the counter and there's a tray full of nice, soft chocolate chip cookies, um, I, I offer just whatever to the kids, right? The kids aren't in this service, so I can say that. But then I take my time selecting my cookie. I kind of look, I smell a little bit. I see which one's the softest. I look, you know, I want the biggest cookie as well. I, I make a, and I by the time I've selected the cookie, I've selected the, the choicest of all the cookies. Right? There's something intrinsic in the value of that cookie that causes me to, to choose it. And then I notice that Whitney always chooses a better one, but that's a different. So the Israel is suffering under the illusion, well, maybe there's something in us that made God choose us. And in Deuteronomy, God says, look, it wasn't because you were more number. This is Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. It wasn't because you were more number than any other people uh, that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. You were the fewest of all people. in other words, there wasn't anything great intrinsic about you that God said, i got to have Israel. And as God entered into this relationship with him through his sovereign election— he, he bound himself graciously to them in covenant. Over and over again in this passage in Ezekiel 20, you see this phrase, I swore. So in verse 5, in verse 6, and verse 15, in verse 23, in verse 42, and verse 28, over and over again, God says, I, I swore, I swore this. In his grace, he committed to a relationship with them. Now, the cycle begins, okay, begins here with instruction. That's the first thing in verse 7. He gives them this instruction. They're in the land of Egypt. And he says, look, uh, he says this to the people in Egypt. He says... Cast away the detestable. That means the filthy things your eyes feast on. There's, there's these, these things that are filthy and disgusting. Don't feast on them. Don't worship them. Don't love them. Don't defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, you're pursuing this path that leads to death. You're following these ugly, detestable, filthy things. Instead, set your heart and mind upon me. But then the next part of the cycle begins. There's rebellion. Rebellion says they don't do that. They didn't forsake the idols of Egypt. Then, the next next part of the cycle is wrath. God expresses his righteous indignation at what they've chosen to do, and so there's this this wrath. He says, I'm going to pour out my wrath. Last part of verse 8. But then, there's grace. Verse 9. There's grace. Look what it says. But, In other words, I I could have expressed my wrath, but I acted for the sake of my name. What was it that motivated God to act with grace toward Israel? Was it something intrinsic in Israel? I was going to pour out my wrath, but I thought, man, these guys, they're so nice. They're so kind. They don't really mean it. No. He says, "I, I withheld... I I showed them mercy, I exercised grace for the sake of of my name. I didn't want it to be profane. Name here means reputation. It means people thinking the right things about a person on the basis of their reputation. And God says, I'm concerned that the nations will look at how I treat this nation that I've, I've chosen and my name will look bad. I've set Israel apart so that my name will be glorified. And if I act differently towards Israel, my name won't receive the glory it deserves. That's the first cycle. There's instruction, instruction of how to engage in joyful worship. There's rebellion against God. There's God's wrath expressed. And then there's God's, God's incredible grace. That leads back to instruction. We have the this, this, this cycle begin again. Israel's in the wilderness with the, the first generation there in the wilderness, and the cycle begins again. First of all, there's this instruction, instruction on how to engage in joyful worship. Look at what the text says. He says, I led them out of the land of Egypt. I brought them in the wilderness. I gave them my, my statutes and made known to them my rules Listen to how he describes them. By which if a person does them, he shall live. So here are my rules, and these rules aren't these oppressive things. They're these things that are designed to let you know me and and live me and ha- live with me and have abundance of life and fulfillment. But what happens? He gives them something else as well. I gave them my Sabbaths. And Sabbaths were not meant to be these these days of oppression and and times where a person couldn't have any fun or anything like that. He says, no, these these Sabbaths were a sign that they might know. And that word know means know relationally. It doesn't mean just kind of have this intellectual knowledge. It means experiential knowledge, uh, knowledge that comes from being in a relationship with someone else. They might know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, who sanctifies them. And so I gave them these rules. And these, these instructions that they could live by them, and we're designed to, to be in a relationship with one another. That's my, my, the instruction I gave them. But what happened? What happened? Verse 13 there's, re, there's rebellion. They rebelled. What's the response? Wrath. Next part of the cycle. But then there's grace. There's grace. Listen how God shows grace. Once again, why does he show grace? He says, but I acted, why, for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. Nevertheless, verse 17, my eyes spared them. I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. God chose grace once again. Grace leads to the beginning of another cycle, a cycle that also begins with instruction. We have Israel in the wilderness, the second generation. There's instruction in verses 18 through 20. He says, look, uh, kids, these kids in the wilderness, don't follow the example of your fathers. I'm the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. Be careful to bear my rules. Keep my Sabbaths holy that they can be assigned between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God, that you may know that I'm Yahweh. This is, again, once, I'm giving these instructions so that you can have life and be in relationship with me. And the goal of you being in relationship with me is so that you can worship me and you can rightly exalt my name and you can live, fulfill the purpose of your life, which is to bring me great uh, uh, praise and glory. What's Israel's response? Rebellion. Rebellion again in verse 21. But, but the children rebelled. What's God's response. Now, it's a little different here. The cycle changes just a little bit this third time. There's, once again, there's this righteous response of indignation, wrath, in verse 21. And then there's grace, again, in verse 22. Why is there grace? Verse 22, but I withheld my hand and acted, once again, for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. And then not only is there grace, there's this, there's there's judgment. Look at how the cycle changes here. And that there's something strange that that takes place. He talks about how they're going to be dispersed among the countries. And then in verse 25, he says, Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good. Remember over and over again, he's been saying, I gave them good statutes good statutes, good rules that they could have life. Now he says, I gave them bad statutes, rules by which they could not have life. And I defiled them through their very gifts and they're offering up all their firstborn that I might devastate them. Now, now what's going on there? Why in the world God over and over again says he's giving them statutes that are going to lead to life, he's going to give them uh, rules by which they can live and, and know him, So, what's happening here? I think what he's describing here is what we see in the book of Romans as well. Remember, Romans 1 talks about how people rejected God and God judged them kind of with a passive judgment. Part of God's judgment in Romans 1 was allowing people to to do what they wanted to do. Verse 24 of Romans 1 says God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. What happens here in Ezekiel 20, I think it's the same thing. God gives them up. He allows them to follow these statutes and rules that they they want to follow that aren't going to bring them life. Why does he do it? Why does he do it? Verse 26 says, that they might know that I am the Lord. The reason that God shows judgment, do, do you catch that? The reason that God shows judgment is the exact same reason that he shows mercy. God shows mercy and God shows judgment so that his name might receive glory. All that he does, he ultimately does for the sake of his name. Verses 27 through 29 talk about the more recent past. L- l- let's keep going here and talk about Israel's present-day decision. You see this in verses 30 through 32. Look at your text. The elders are now before Ezekiel. He's gone through and he's he's shown them, as, as God put it, the abominations of their fathers. And he says, okay, um, now you're doing this, the, the same things your fathers are doing you're doing these same things, defiling yourselves, pursuing these, these detestable things. Now, will I be inquired of you, will I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel, as I declare as the Lord God, I will not, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. That's verse 31. And then he says in verse 32, what you're contemplating, what's in your mind, this idea that we're going to be like the other nations. He says, I'm never going to let that happen. I am never going to allow people who are called by my name to live like the nations. I'm not going to passively sit by and indefinitely allow you to pursue this and be called my people. It's never going to happen. And I am going to show mercy to you at times, and I'm going to show judgment at times, and my aim in all of this is so that my name will be exalted among the people who I've placed around you. I am not going to allow my people to profane my name. I'm going to show mercy, and I'm going to show judgment, and my motivation in all those things is that my name would be exalted, for I am a great king. This idea, this delusion that you have, Israel... This delusion that you can come before God and say, God, we know you chose us. We are your chosen people, so this is how we're going to act. God's saying, you guys are crazy. You're a special type of crazy. You're so crazy. You don't even understand how I've dealt with you mercifully in the past. You don't understand why. Why do I show mercy? I don't show mercy just because I love you so much. You're not the end of my plan in the universe, I am the end of my plan in my universe. And if I make you the end of my plan in the universe, I'm practicing idolatry. And I'm Yahweh God. I'm not going to practice idolatry. You're crazy. It's never going to happen. And then he talks about the future. Israel's present day decision is who they're going to worship. Now he talks about God's future grace in verses 33 through 44. I'm going to be king over you. I'm going to be king over you. You're in exile now. I'm going to bring you out, he says in verse 34. I'm going to enter into judgment, he says with you, verse 35. I'm going to enter into judgment with you face to face. You're going to experience judgment. Why? Why? What's my motivation? Verse 38. You would know that I'm the Lord. It's all about my name. Verse 40. My holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord, there all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. There I will accept you. I'll require your contributions. Verse 41, as a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you've scattered. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. That's the end for which God is striving, a people who will manifest his holiness. His His plan isn't just to show a bunch of people that he's shown mercy to, but he would show mercy to people, he would judge people, so that his holiness would be manifest in the sight of all people. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. And he says, you're going to remember all the bad things you've done, and you're going to hate yourself. You're going to loathe yourselves for all the evils that you've committed. There's going to be true repentance. And verse 44, this is God's mercy. You shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake. You see that? That's the essence of mercy. Mercy is whenever God deals with us with grace for his name's sake and not according to our evil ways nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. God in his grace sovereignly brings them out among the exo- from the uh, scattered places that he's placed them by his choice just as he chose them. At the beginning of the passage, he chooses them again. Mercy and judgment are expressed all for the sake of his name. They will respond with true and genuine repentance and hope Their holiness will be a powerful declaration among all peoples of God's greatness. So, they engage in this worship. They engage in this worship, delighting in God's character, living in holiness for his glory. Now let me, let me recap here with some principles, the principles we've, we've talked about, but the principles that I think are so crucial to help us understand why God judges, why God shows mercy, and, and how we're to respond. Number one, we've, we've talked about this, but number one, God's mercy is motivated by his love for his name. So often as we talk about God's character and how God loves us and we just miss this, this, this basic truth. God's mercy towards us is motivated by his love for his name. At Romans chapter 3. Remember what God says through Paul? We all need the righteousness of God. How do we receive the righteousness of God? He says in verse 21, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God that comes through what? Through faith. In Jesus Christ for all who believe. All of us who place our faith in Jesus Christ, not our own works, but place our faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation, receive God's righteousness. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and everyone is justified. Everyone is declared righteous. How? By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a satisfaction by his blood to re- be received by faith. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins, to fully bear God's wrath, so that everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ could be justified by faith, by God's grace through faith. But why? It says, all of this was to show how valuable each of you precious little jewels are. That's not what the text says. It says, this was done. Our salvation was done. Why? This is so important to understand. If we, if we get this wrong, we're going to have all sorts of dangerous applications about our relationship with God. He says, all of this was done. Our salvation was done. Why? To show god's righteousness god didn't send his son jesus christ to die for you to show that you are of infinite value he did it to magnify the greatness of his glory and righteousness you see, if we, if we miss that basic fundamental truth, we're going to think that, that all that God does in the universe is, is for our exaltation, that we're the center of God's, God's um, value system and that, that we should be the ones that get to dictate God's moral law and that we should be the ones that, that God is, is working to cause all things um, for, for our glory. And, and you know, it, it's, it's just, it's warped thinking. We take a true statement that God loves us and, and, and we twist it in all sorts of unbiblical ways. Why did God save us? Why, does, why did he save the people according to Ezekiel? And, and why did he save the people in Romans? To, to show his righteousness, to glorify himself. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's mercy is motivated by his love for his great name, Second principle, much the same. God's judgment is motivated by his love for his name. Guys, this is so crucial to get as well. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.11. In fact, if you have a Bible, just just turn there. 2 Timothy 2.11. 2 Timothy 2.11. He says, This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. 2 Timothy 2.11. So in other words, he's saying if if we have died with Christ, we will also live with him. If we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been united not just in his death, but also in his resurrection. And then he says this. If we endure, we also will reign with him. But if we deny him, he also will deny us. He's talking here about the expectation of judgment. Look, if you're a person who denies Jesus Christ, he also is going to deny you. If you say, look, I have no part in Christ, he's going to say, I agree. And then, this is is important. Verse 13 is a verse we misunderstand. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, sometimes people say, well, they think this. If we remain faithless, that is, if we deny Christ... It's saying he remains faithful, and they think that means he remains faithful to us. We can deny him, but he won't deny us. Well, that, that contradicts what he's just said in the earlier verse. What does he mean when he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself? What that means is, if we are faithless, that is, if we deny God, he remains faithful. He will not deny God. He cannot deny himself. This should be a very concerning passage for many of us, right? A person who says, well, I can deny God, but God will still be merciful to me. I can deny God and how I live. I can deny his lordship. I can deny his call on my life to live a certain way. I can deny him, and he won't deny me because he's merciful. They don't get it. They don't understand his character. They're like the elders of Israel coming before Ezekiel saying, hey, we want this God thing. We also kind of want to do this idol thing, too. Is that cool with God? God's judgment is motivated by his love for his name and his glory. If we, rem- if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. That should scare us and it also should give us this incredible comfort because if, if God's, if, if my relationship with God is based upon me being intrinsically good or worthy of God's favor, I'm sunk. But He says, look, If we've been united with him, we're secure. We're secure in Christ, not because of ourselves, but because God cannot deny himself. If I'm united with Christ, God can't deny me. Not because of my righteousness, but because of his righteousness, and because God will not do things that profane his name. And if I am in Christ, I am secure in Christ, God will not deny me because he can't deny himself. Third truth, our worship must be motivated by our love for his name. Our worship is not motivated by our desire for God to glorify us. Our worship is motivated by our desire to see his name exalted. Let me invite at this time the the men to come forward to pass out communion and as they come forward to, to pass out uh, the Lord's Supper, let me encourage you to, to, be, to be thinking about this truth, that my worship must be, must be motivated by my desire to see God's name exalted. And maybe as you think about your life, say, you know what, um, my life has not been motivated by a desire to see God exalted, my, my life has been motivated by a desire to see God exalt me, and, and maybe there's just some repentance that needs to take place. If you've never come into a relationship with God, my encouragement would be even today to say, you know what, I I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for me that I could not pay, that God has been merciful for his name, and and I place my trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. That would be my encouragement for you this morning. The great truth of Scripture is that God loves his glory, and that we get to participate in proclaiming his glory To all people.